We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20, and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son. But the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still going towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. How do you react to a video like that? What's happening in your head and in your heart right now? When you think about being in Mary's position, what an incredible story, right? Do you think you could do what she did? I think one of the things that has been most challenging for me in this series as we have explored freedom and forgiveness is that I keep coming up with names that I need to forgive, that I need to ask forgiveness. I keep thinking of my own stories, and I've talked to a lot of you, too. 
And I find it really interesting. I have yet, um, not that it doesn't exist, (laughs) but in the last few weeks, I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, well, here's my story and I'm trying, but here's why I just can't forgive them after what they did. I'm still waiting for the person who runs up and says, oh, let me tell you this beautiful story of forgiveness and reconciliation that I experienced. Now, I know they're out there and I've lived them. But most often what sticks with us, because it's the one that still hurts, is the one that we're trying to resolve right now. That's the one that makes my heart beat faster, my head and my vision seem to close in a little bit, because we all have a story. And when I think of my story, and then I hear Mary's story, and she says, he killed my son, so I invited him to live next door. Well, maybe I'm just a wimp then if I can't figure out my own forgiveness. But it also makes me ask questions. Because when I see them standing side by side, I start to wonder, is that really a good idea? Do I have to go that far? If I can't go as far as Mary did, can I still forgive? Does it have to be all or nothing? Those are good questions. In fact, there are two people, two of the most influential Christians in the history of Christianity who early on, after Jesus' death, wrestled with this exact issue. One of them we've met earlier in this series was a man named Paul, whose original name was Saul. You remember we talked about how all of us have been Saul, we've hurt others, and all of us have a Saul, somebody who hurt us. Well, in Acts 15, we find him again, and now he's been a leader in the church for some time, But this moment of contention comes up. It says, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. So Mark was somebody that as Paul and Barnabas began to work together, Mark went with them on what were called missionary journeys. Barnabas was one of the people who actually helped others forgive Paul. And then together with Mark, they went on journeys to city after city after city to teach about God's forgiveness. And so Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So we don't know exactly what happened, but as these three had been working together, they had been through crisis together, they had been through danger together. I mean, they had faced some things together. There was a deep trust between these three men, but something caused Mark to abandon ship. We don't know what it was. We don't know exactly how it happened. But now in this moment where there's more work to do, Barnabas says, let's give him another chance. And Paul says, I don't think so. You know, maybe you've been in that moment when somebody abandons ship. Somebody breaks your trust. And you're kind of caught in this Paul and Barnabas place. What, what do I do? Does forgiving mean I just act like it didn't happen and we go back to the way things were? If I don't go back, if I don't bring him with, does that mean I haven't really forgiven? Does it have to be all or nothing? Because just talking to some of you, and I'll tell you the examples I'm about to give you, if you think, hey, he didn't ask me if he could share that, I'll I'll be vague. But every example I'm about to share has been more than one person telling me this exact thing in just the last few weeks. That there is a spouse who broke a trust with you that you didn't even know you needed to worry about. That there is an ex-spouse who is not only being annoying, but is actually behaving destructively towards your children. That there is a friend that you went into business with and things were going really well and you were excited for the next few decades and they took advantage of you, betrayed you, broke their business to build their own, 
that there is a family member who took advantage of you, a family member who hurt you, and you don't know if you can let them back in. You don't know how to do that. Somebody may have broken your trust and you're wondering, does forgiveness mean I have to trust them again? Well, this is a murky topic. When somebody abandons ship, you find out how murky the waters of forgiveness can really be. But I want to offer you hope this morning. And I want to offer you that I think that it is possible to disarm offenses. When you've been offended, it is possible to disarm offenses without lowering your defenses. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit today because this is one of the places that becomes the trickiest. And even in the situation that you may be thinking of right now, I wish there was like a one-to-one, take these three easy steps and everything will be fine. I wish I could give you a promise that whatever that thing is, if you just take these three easy steps, it will be reconciled, you will restore trust, and everything will go back to the way it was. Well, I can't give you that, but I do want to give you hope because there's a reason that we're here at Horizon talking about this. And it's because we believe that the God of the Bible is a God of hope. I believe that the God of the Bible can do impossible things, and I know that the God of the Bible cares about forgiveness, and he cares about reconciliation. It matters to him. It's important to him. He wants that for you, whether you are the forgiver or the one who needs forgiveness, just as much as he wants that for the other person. But to get there, we have to start by disarming. We have to disarm the torpedoes when someone abandons ship. You see, Paul and Barnabas missed this step. And so you see what happens next as Barnabas is determined, but Paul is insistent. It says, then the contention became so sharp, which is the Bible's nice way of saying it got nasty. (laughs) It got ugly. Not they sat down over coffee, talked it through and came up with different options. It says the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. See, this could have been the moment of reconciliation. You can see that Paul is feeling it more than Barnabas is, but it's a reality for both of them. This could have been the moment for reconciliation when they said, well, hey, let's bring Mark in here. And let's explain clearly what it is that he's done that has hurt us. And let's talk about where we might need boundaries or where we might need to see evidence of growth or where we want to give him a second chance, but there's going to be accountability and responsibility. This could have been that moment. Instead, whatever caused Mark to abandon ship, whatever caused his departure has now led to another departure. Another relationship is broken Because they came in with all of the torpedoes armed and ready. So we want to disarm our torpedoes. Because I don't know about you, but most of the time when somebody hurts me, my first thought is, they did this to me. I can't believe they did this to me. I'm going to tell them what's up for doing this to me. Right? We get angry. And that's normal. Like the anger can be good, especially if what somebody did to you really is wrong. Like it's okay to feel angry towards something wrong that has happened. But as I was studying torpedoes, and the reason I chose that term is because early in in the development of torpedoes, torpedoes were like really exciting. Self-guided missiles you could shoot through the water. How awesome is that? And we thought, 
this will cause mass destruction to the other side and we will be victorious. Only what they discovered early on is how dangerous torpedoes can be to you. (laughs) And in a famous battle called the Battle of Santiago de Cuba, which was part of the Spanish-American War, there was a ship called the Vizcaya. Now the Vizcaya was armed with torpedoes. They came into this battle because this ended up being the defining battle in the war. And they knew they had to turn the tide here or it would be too late. So all of their torpedoes were armed in this boat near the front, above water, ready to fire. What ended up happening was in that actual battle, they realized they weren't going to win. And so they tried to kind of sneak through and escape, live to fight another day kind of thing. Took a relatively small hit to that part of the ship. And it ignited all of the torpedoes that were on the boat and destroyed the Vizcaya. It burned out the hull, toppled the masts. What you see here is the total destruction of this ship. In fact, later, after the battles were done, after the war was over, people came back to this spot because that was like a brand new boat and it was a good one. So maybe we could salvage this thing, put a little new paint on it, fix it up a little bit. They discovered that it was totally unsalvageable. There was no longer anything worthwhile because its own torpedoes had led to its own destruction. There were other ships in that same battle that survived for the sole reason that they actually had disarmed their torpedoes ahead of time, worried about exactly this thing. Sometimes when we bring in the torpedoes, we find out that it's actually something we're doing that makes the situation unsalvageable. But again, I want to give you hope this morning. That whatever the situation is that you might be thinking of right now, I don't believe it's unsalvageable. You believe me? I know I've got one in my head right now that I've been praying about these last few weeks with a family member. You know that family member that like you hear other people talk about this, but you can't believe it now. It's been years since you've talked to them. Maybe you're willing, but they're not. Because I believe that we serve a God who can do the impossible. That reconciliation is still possible. But it definitely gets harder when you arm the torpedoes. You know, a number of years ago, this was when I was a a freshman in college. My roommate was a guy named Pete. Now, Pete was an okay guy, kind of easygoing, but this was one of those things where they assign you a roommate, you didn't pick the guy. And I actually picked my roommate, and then they gave us a third guy. So I was already a little annoyed. And as the year went on, I I won't be specific, because Pete is his real name, but there were things that Pete did to me that hurt. And I very quickly got to not like Pete at all. You know, and some of it was things that I could list for you that they they really are things that Pete did wrong. They really are things that, that you and I would agree he was not living up to his own standard, let alone God's standard. Some of them were just differences of opinion. Some of them were just things that annoyed me. Some of them were just stupid because if you're like me, once you're angry at somebody, all the little things start to matter that didn't actually matter before. Right? If you're married, some of those are the little things that are so cute about them and, oh, it's kind of annoying, but I love her so much. And, but then when you're in a fight, oh yeah, well you do this too and you do that too, right? And it all starts building up as if everything is terrible. Well, that's what was happening with Pete. And so I decided one day, almost at the end of the year, after letting this fester literally for months, today's the day. 
I'm going to tell Pete what's up. Today's the day and I'm bringing all of the torpedoes because I've been building them for months. I've been arming them for months. And I want you to see what some of these torpedoes look like because some of these might be yours. Because I walked in and I was full of you statements. Now, Pete, I know I'm not perfect. But you always and you never and we agreed and you don't even. As opposed to saying, you know, Pete, I'd like to talk about some of the things that have happened that have hurt me. I feel like, you know, using those kinds of statements, it was all accusation. You can probably hear in the midst of that, I had some good exaggeration going on too. Like, yes, it would be nice if you washed your clothes. Actually, I'm not washing my clothes either. We're freshmen in college, but, but yours is a problem, right? In fact, probably one of the worst things I did was walking out. Because in this moment, this moment that I had chosen, I come in and Pete's just like reading a book. I'm shouting at him. Like I started down here and it started to build up until I'm yelling in his face and, and Pete starts like this. Hey, what's going on here? And like the, the farther I get and the longer I go, he kind of shifts to like, what is going on here? And then it's almost like I'm funny to him. Like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> and when I finished, I walked out. Have you been there? You think I felt better or worse? You think Pete sat there reflecting on everything I just shouted at him and thought, you know, I probably could make some meaningful differences in my life. At best, I made him defensive. At worst, he probably just laughed me off. But I can tell you, I, I didn't do this interrupting one because I didn't give him a chance to talk anyway. So, so there is no interrupting. And when you look at those, there's some of these that you may be more prone to than others. Identify one or two of those right now, because that's what happens when we walk into a situation that is already tense because something has happened. It's real. What happened to you is real. But when we fire our torpedoes into that contention, we make it worse. Not only for them, but for ourselves. So if we're going to disarm the offenses without lowering our defenses... You not only need to disarm the torpedoes, but you need to know your SOP. Know your standard operating procedure. What direction do you tend to lean when you handle these kinds of situations? You see, it told us that Barnabas was determined to take with them, John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not. Both of them felt very strongly about this situation. Who was right? This is one of the places that I love how honest the Bible is because Paul had been forgiven. Barnabas had helped other people accept him. These are the two guys who should be closest together. They're carrying the message of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, but they can't figure this thing out and they split up. Honestly, that's embarrassing. And there's a lot of that throughout Christian history. Where it seems like, hey, if we all love Jesus and say that he forgave us, shouldn't we be able to figure this thing out and stay unified? And there are a lot of places that we haven't and we don't. And so this is just an honest moment where two people are so at odds that they can't figure it out. But part of what's happening here is that they have different approaches to this process. See, Barnabas was known as a son of encouragement. In fact, that's part of what made him so effective in helping people trust Paul. 
because he's the guy who's always ready all the time to give you one more chance. Right? He's the guy who's going to say, hey, Mark was young. I know he made a mistake. I think he's really sorry. And I want to bring him with me because I think he will prove himself. Paul's approach was a little bit different. You know, he's thinking, the places we're going next are so dangerous. Even if I forgive him, I'm not sure that I can trust him right now. He needs to prove himself before I restore that trust. You know, it's kind of like the difference between a speedboat and an aircraft carrier. A speedboat can turn very quickly. You abandon ship on a speedboat, it's just like, cut the engine, whip it around, get back up, we'll keep skiing. Have you ever seen anybody ski behind an aircraft carrier? <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> because an aircraft carrier takes a lot more time to turn around. You can turn it probably in about three minutes at a decent speed. You can do a full 180. You're going to lose a lot of space and it's going to take a long time. Where a speedboat is like half a second, right? I read that you can actually do it a little bit quicker on an aircraft carrier. You might be able to get that thing down to about a minute. But what happens when an aircraft carrier turns that fast is all of the planes fall in the water. <laughs> so probably not a good idea, right? See, Barnabas was more like the speedboat. He was determined to do it now instead of carrying the hurt. And there can be something good about that. While Paul, maybe more like an aircraft carrier, was insisting on taking the time to get it right. You see, they both need time and space to turn around. It's just that the aircraft carrier needs a little bit more. And the truth is that there are strengths and weaknesses to both of these. Right? If you, if you don't turn quickly enough, that's what the woman in the video was talking about. It becomes like a cancer that's just eating you alive because you're not willing to turn and reconcile with somebody. But if you turn too quickly, there may be another risk. Like, what does she really know about this guy? If she had never visited him in prison to build up that relationship, do you think he'd be able to move in next door? Or would she wonder if he's after her next? Or sometimes we have to take that time to make sure that we get it right, that the things are in place that we need in place. Paul may have been thinking of a principle from one of his own letters. You know, one of the benefits of the New Testament is that we have personal letters, a lot of them from Paul, where the Holy Spirit, God speaks to him about what to write down so that we have good instruction for these kinds of things. And he wrote in a letter called Galatians, which was probably written just before this event happened. So this would be in recent memory. It would already be out there. People would have access to this. He wrote in the book of Galatians, let each one examine his own work for each one shall bear his own load. So if you bring that into the situation with your mark, whoever that person is that has broken your trust, the idea here is that each person bears that responsibility. Right? We've said multiple times in the last few weeks that it's not as simple as just pretending it didn't happen. Your forgiveness does not mean minimizing the hurt, minimizing the pain, and it doesn't mean we have to walk back into dangerous situations with people who are not trustworthy. And so Paul might be thinking that Mark needs to examine his own work and bear his own load. And so what that could mean is he needs accountability. There may have been something missing before, and Mark needs a new level of accountability to make sure that he doesn't make this mistake again. He needs to take responsibility for his own actions. There may be consequences that he has to face. There may be new boundaries that are put in place. 
You know, that's true for us. That may be true for the other person who you're trying to forgive. Or like the song we heard before, you may be seeking forgiveness and you have to be open to that reality. You may need new accountability. There may be consequences. You may need new boundaries, not only to keep you safe, but to keep other people safe. What's really interesting, though, is that in that same letter, you could find the principle that I think Barnabas may have been thinking about. In that very same letter, and I love this, literally two verses before this, Paul also wrote, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So which is it? (laughs) Each one shall bear his own load. Like I just said, bear one another's burdens. How does that work? (laughs) So they bear their load or I bear their load? Who does the bearing? See, I think it's a combination. I think it's a combination. That there's a reality in forgiveness and a reality in a situation of reconciliation that there is responsibility that has to be borne by the person who caused the hurt. But there can also be an extension of mercy that I will help you bear this load. Mary, in the video that we saw, doesn't owe this man anything. He certainly bore the consequences of his actions, and yet, when he got out of prison, she said, I want to help you bear that load. That's a gift. That's a gift. And he says that when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what does that mean? You see, I think in a lot of ways, forgiveness demonstrates who God is more than anything else that we could do. I mentioned that forgiveness matters to God. It matters to the point that there are times where Jesus said, hey, if you just got to the temple, like if you just came to church and you had a big gift that you were going to give because you wanted to sacrifice to God, and as you come, you realize... Your brother is still mad at you about that thing. Leave your gift there. Go reconcile first. Like this churchy and religious stuff is awesome, but God cares so much about relationships. He cares so much about healing that he would even command this. He tells parables about people who are forgiven a massive debt and then turn around and won't forgive somebody who owes them just a little bit. And it crushes God's heart to see that. Because he cares so much about forgiveness, not minimizing the wrong that was done, but he cares so much about forgiveness that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die to pay the penalty for every broken thing we've done, every way that we've broken trust, so that we can be forgiven. When you extend that to somebody else, You're showing them who Jesus is. When you extend forgiveness to somebody else, you're fulfilling the law of Christ to love God and love other people. You know, one of the stories that I've been been thinking about in the last couple of weeks, there was a a younger dad that I met uh, a couple of years ago, and the reason I met him is because I got one of those phone calls where somebody just says, Um, hey, I need to talk. When are you available, like, ASAP? 
oh man, whenever I get those, it's kind of like, he's really excited about something, he just has to share it. (laughs) More likely, something has gone wrong and he needs to talk. I know because I have made those phone calls. There are very important people in my life that I love more than just about anybody today because they took that call from me. And so I sat down to to meet with this young man. And uh, as we talked, it became apparent that he had had a gambling problem for a number of years. Started out just entertainment, figured he could stop anytime he wanted. Turns out he couldn't stop anytime he wanted. And he was beginning to use up the family's funds, the, the vacation fund, the emergency fund, and now the college fund. And finally, his wife started asking questions because, in his words, she never looked at the finances. But when he said he didn't think vacation was going to work this year, she didn't understand why, and it began to come out what had been happening to the money. As you can imagine, she was devastated. It was a trust she didn't even know to worry about that he had broken. And by the time that he and I talked, he had confessed all of it to her. They had talked to each other's parents. They had shared these things. And I'm telling you, as much as you can read into a person's heart, I mean, I believe that I saw in his eyes this was never going to happen again. That he was willing to do whatever it would take to repair trust with his wife and to lead his family well going forward. And I've got to tell you, that gave me a lot of hope. And I tried to pass that hope on to him. But as we were talking, there was an interesting moment because... He said, and and this was within probably three days of of talking to his wife, he said how frustrating it was now that whenever he was, you know, sitting on the couch looking at his phone, she keeps saying, what are you doing? What what are you doing right now? Because she's worried that I'm going to be gambling again. I told her I won't. Hey man, I understand how reasonable that sounds to you because in the depth of your heart, you probably can't even imagine ever going back to something that was so dark or hurt you so badly. Here's the thing. It's all brand new for her. And she has been gracious and she said that I wanna, I'm going to stay with this marriage. I'm going to stay with this family. I want to do what I can to work through this. I don't know how I can look him in the eyes again, but I'm going to try. But there's a new level of accountability that it's needed. And I'll just be honest with you. Hus- husbands and wives, if you're in the room, like you should both have full access to the finances anyway. <laughs> don't, don't keep secrets from each other like that. So that was new for them, but it was needed for them. That he needed to realize that for her to restore trust was going to take more time. She was willing to forgive immediately. She was actually willing to reconcile pretty quickly and say, we're still in this together. But it's going to take time and evidence to restore that trust. There are going to be new boundaries that needed to be in place so that she knows he's trustworthy. And what I want you to hear in that is that that is not unforgiveness. You tracking with me? In fact, she loves her husband so much that as hurt as she is, she's willing to put accountability and boundaries in place not only to protect herself, lest she be lied to again, but also to protect him lest he be tempted again. That's a loving thing to do. So as we think about these kinds of principles, I want to encourage you, like Barnabas, determine to forgive because God forgives you. Determine to forgive because God forgives you. It says in another of Paul's letters, bearing with one another, there's that idea again, And forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave, even as Christ forgave you, 
so you also must do. So determine to forgive. The name that's been coming up for you in the last few weeks, or if this is your first time here, the name that might come up today, this is the part that you control. Determine to forgive. But you notice how, again, he builds this on the idea of who Christ is. I will tell you, I've learned this in my own life. There's a lot of things that I can look at in this book and say, that sounds like a good idea, that sounds like that would be better for me, and so I'm just going to go out there and I'm just going to make it happen. I'm telling you, every single time I try to make it happen, I run out about halfway through, or like it lasts for a week and then it falls apart again. One of the reasons that he so clearly brings up Christ time and time again is because really the foundation of forgiveness is first recognizing the forgiveness that you need from God. That's really the first step. That when I realize how much I have been forgiven by a perfect and holy God who has never done anything wrong, no matter how much I may perceive or it may be real that what they've done is far more painful than what I've done, we both need forgiveness from a perfect and holy God. And when I recognize that, that sets me free. That gives me the freedom to forgive others and to trust God to handle that for them. And that's a place that honestly in my own life, as we've thought about forgiving myself, forgiving other people, forgiving those who aren't sorry, and maybe even having the opportunity to reconcile, I find that is one of the places that I end up loving God the most deeply. That when I feel like I can't forgive, and then I remember people who have forgiven me, and then I remember how God has forgiven me, all that other stuff just kind of melts away. Okay, Lord, if you can do that for me, certainly I can do that for someone else. So determine to forgive, but also I want you to insist on reconciling because God reconciles with you. Now this part's a little bit trickier because forgiveness takes one, but reconciling takes two. And so it may be that your insistence on reconciling just means that you initiate, that you take the first step towards trying to put that relationship back together, towards trying to heal something that was there, even though it may not go back to the way it was, even though you may not be able to fully restore trust like you had at one time, that you might be the one who insists, you might be the one who initiates. And the New Testament says that all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. See, this is that part that God cares about so much. He wants to repair relationships. God cares so much about relationships. And he doesn't want you to carry that hurt. He doesn't want to keep that distance between you and him. So the first thing he does is he comes to you before he even sends you to anybody else. And he says, you and me, through Jesus Christ, through the death and resurrection that we're celebrating in the coming weeks, let's heal our relationship. And then I will give you the strength and the power to reconcile with other people. But this takes two, right? God can offer that, but it's up to you and me. Am I going to accept that from him? Do I want to reconcile with God or do I tell God it's none of your business? Now, you can initiate with somebody else, but it's up to them if they may or may not respond, which is why in Romans 12:18, God also tells us, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Go ahead and bring that one up. That's Romans 12, 18. 
There's a recognition here it may not be possible. We have to own that. It may not be possible because it doesn't entirely depend on you. There is a part that the other person has to be willing to play. But if possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And remember, peaceably may not mean going back to everything the way it was. Especially in extreme situations where there's been abuse, that wouldn't be peaceable living to let somebody back in without healthy boundaries. It wouldn't be peaceful for you, and it would only be temptation for them. But God says, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you. Well, I didn't really finish my story about Pete before, and so I want to just tell you what happened there. Because with Pete, I decided I need to insist on reconciliation. In fact, this is, uh, this is what happens when you come and listen to God's word. It was actually um, in this room, probably at a 10 o'clock, a little over a year ago, that we were doing a series called Startup, talking about how Jesus picks these few guys and just has this vision to change the world. And one of the things that Jesus taught us in that series was, love your enemies. Okay, Jesus, if I ever have any, I will. I mean, I don't really, who has enemies these days? I mean, I don't know. I don't. Oh. I had not thought about Pete probably 10 years. But remember I told you that thing happened at the end of freshman year? And then for three more years we're on the same campus and I never spoke to him again. Well, I talked about him. He was talking about me. There was some awkward eye contact when like, oh man, is that, um, 10 a.m., I don't know, lunchtime, right? <laughs> So when we were doing this thing in, in Luke, that was back in uh, Luke 6, I thought, okay, God, I don't know if he'll ever apologize for what he did, but I know I did stuff too. And that's a key part of reconciliation. Like, is, can I stop and think about what I may have contributed to this? And so I decided to reach out to Pete. And so I started just with a Facebook message. Dear Pete, actually, dear Lord, are you sure about this? <laughs> And I pretty much just owned in that message, specifically that day, and all the things that I said that I knew had hurt him. Things that I'm not repeating up here because I don't think it's fair for me to say that about Pete again. You know, I apologized for those things. And I told him, you know, I, I, was, I was fair. There were things you did that hurt me, Pete, but I know that my response was, was inappropriate and it was not God-honoring. And to be honest, uh, I'm doing this thing at our church that made me realize... I need to forgive you, but I need to ask for your forgiveness. And I didn't know if I would ever hear from Pete. I didn't know if he would ever answer me back. But I felt like that was something that God had asked me to do. And it was kind of that two-way street. I needed forgiveness and I needed to forgive. So I was, how should I say this, pleasantly surprised or completely shocked (laughs) when Pete not only responded to me, but Pete forgave me and Pete apologized. And he said, you know, sometimes that's just the way that God works on our hearts when there's things we'd rather forget, but he knows that we need to heal. What? Pete? Pete has, like, spiritual maturity? (laughs) What in the world? But it it was the coolest thing, the most healing thing. And now here's the reality. That could have been the conversation our freshman year. Instead of being, I mean, if you include the last three years, 15 years later. That could have been the conversation freshman year. Pete, you know, there are some ways that you've hurt me. And I want to apologize for the things that I've done. 
And in that moment, we probably never would have lived together again. I know the odds are low that I'll even have that like, choice to make <laughs> with Pete from this point forward in my life. And you know, it's not like, you know, we're not going to visit him on vacation in the next couple of weeks. I know that things are different. We're not going back to that place, but there has been reconciliation. That if I walk into a reunion and Pete shows up, I could say, hi, Pete, instead of, uh, time for lunch, right? That's the hope that I believe that God gives us. And so as we close this morning, I want you to think about that idea of reconciliation. And I want you to insist on reconciling. Because I know that there are painful things that you are thinking about. I know that there may be painful things that you've done. But if we're going to disarm these offenses, if we're going to disarm torpedoes, if you're going to know your standard operating procedure, how you go into these situations so that you're paying attention to yourself, and if you're going to be determined to forgive, then it may be that today there's something that you've chosen internally for me. I need to do this. I need to forgive. But maybe now there's something external to insist on reconciliation. Maybe there's a, a peep that you need to Facebook. And maybe there's a person that, hey, let's not kid ourselves. They might be sitting next to you right now. Or maybe they would have been except for this thing that's happened. Initiate. Insist on reconciliation. And when you go into it, I'd encourage you to think about it this way. So in fact, you know what? Think about that right now. If that's a phone call, if that's a Facebook message, let's take Drew freshman year with every torpedo armed because you can probably think of all, what all those things are and all the things you'd like to shout at them. Should you just disarm those in this moment? And instead, recognize that I don't necessarily know the other person's motives. It's possible that some of my perceptions are incorrect. I may not have all the facts. I may have misunderstood. It may be that this was a difference of opinions, or it may be that they really have done something wrong. But I also know that I've been wrong before, and I've been forgiven. And so I want to be open to being merciful. And then be clear. You know, I don't think it would be as meaningful for me and Pete if I just said, hey, I know that thing was kind of goofy, but uh, sorry about that. I think part of the freedom that we experience is that we were specific. I know that I said these things, and I'm sorry. I don't know if you realize, but you did these things, and those hurt me. Identify what the real issues are because a lot of times we're, we're fighting back against the torpedoes and not the deeper issue, not the real mistakes, not the real differences, not the deliberate wrongdoings. And then follow through. Be willing to recognize where you may have been wrong. To experience that remorse, to have a change of heart, a change of mind, to be willing to do what you can to make it right. There's actually evidence later in the New Testament that Paul and Barnabas did reconcile because in one of his later letters, he refers to, Paul, to Barnabas again as a friend and someone who shares his life and his ministry. There's even evidence that Paul and Mark reconciled because in one of his later letters, he says, hey, if, Paul comes, if Mark comes to you, welcome him. And in an even later letter, when almost everyone has abandoned Paul, he writes to one of his dear friends, hey, if you come, bring Mark with you. 
He'll be really helpful. So that's the hope that I want to leave you with this morning. Well, it may not be that everything goes back to the way it was. Even that may be possible. But you have a moment today, an opportunity to disarm the offenses without lowering your defenses and find reconciliation. Let's pray that way. Father, I do even just want to pray for the family of Cam right now. As we remember him, I am, I am mindful, Lord. I, I know in my own heart the first thing I felt when I heard that news was how quickly life goes. And that some of these names you've been putting on my heart in this series, it just, it just makes me think, Lord, then, then maybe I better do it today because I don't know what happens tonight. And God, I know that you don't ask us to live in fear, but you do ask us to forgive. And so I pray that you would just bring freedom to those of us in the room who have painful things that we're trying to figure out how to deal with right now and the waters are murky, but we believe, God, that you can salvage the unsalvageable. And so I just pray that you would release in those hearts a desire to forgive, a desire to reconcile, and that even on the other side of that, the part that we don't control, that you might be working in the hearts of those other people that we long so deeply to be right with again. We will ask this all in the name of Jesus, through whom you reconcile with us. Amen. Hey, thank you for being with us this morning. Don't forget that Easter is coming, and we do ticket those services to make sure that everybody gets a seat, but the tickets are complimentary, so you can get them by the fireplace out in the atrium. And on Saturday, there is an egg drop where literally a helicopter flies over and throws eggs out onto our property for, for the children. So you can watch, but it's not for you. <laughs> um, but that's ticketed as well, and that is a great thing to invite friends to just to come and be a part of some of the fun stuff that we do at Horizon. So if you need those tickets, please get them, and we'll see you back next week. Thank you for coming.